2024. It's another year with a leap day next month, February 29. I always think that's cool. One extra day for the year. It's Summer Olympics. Happens every fourth year. I enjoy watching the swimmers and the runners and the basketball players. It's, it, it's a great time to, to watch those athletes. And it's a presidential election year. Are you excited? <laughs> oh boy, here we go again, huh? So sometime around the end of the year, toward the end of the year, November, as we stand there before the little machine or filling out the little piece of paper or whatever they decide to use this time, but you know, we're going to get a chance to vote for the leader of our nation, at least that position in particular called President of the United States. And then also there's senators and there's congressmen and there's state reps and state senators and there's local officials. So as you make your choices there, right on down the, the list, how do you decide? How do you decide that this man or woman is, is worthy of my vote, like, like that person is a good leader or well, they're a better leader than the other option, so I'm going to go that route, which quite often seems to be the case. But what do, we, what do we look to? What criteria do we have for good leaders? What leaders do you follow and why? What kind of leadership do you aspire to in whatever context within your life leadership matters and has been granted to you and appointed to you to lead someone. Parents, you lead your children. Bosses lead their people at work. At church, we need leaders in place to, 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 to guide the church. In community, in community organizations, leadership is everywhere, and it is vital everywhere, not just the guy that sits in the White House. So leadership matters at all levels, and if Jehoshaphat was alive now and was a U.S. citizen, I would vote for him for anything because this man understood godly leadership. And that's what we're going to focus on today. We began this last week. Yeah, I know this is small, but you can see the color, I hope, and that's what's important. On the left-hand side is the list of the kings of Judah. On the right-hand side is the list of kings of Israel. After Saul, David, and Solomon, they were the only kings of Israel as one nation. After Solomon, there was a division of the people. The northern kingdom, it became, maintained the name Israel. There was not one good king among them. That's why they're all in red. Not one of them followed the ways of God. In the southern kingdom, which took on the name Judah, where Jerusalem and the temple are, there was a back and forth. There was some kings that were good, some that were not, but that's basically a, a, a real quick peek at the leadership problems among the people of God, whether it was Judah or Israel. So in this series, <clears throat> I'm pulling out four kings that did a good job that followed God in their leadership and led the nation well. Last week, we looked at a guy named Asa. 
And Asa was particularly known for maintaining the peace. And, and, and peace was important to him, and he was a good leader. And he was ready for war, but war didn't come to him because he was prepared, but most importantly, because he trusted God first. So that was Asa. Asa's son is named Jehoshaphat, who became king after he died. And this is the summary statement about Jehoshaphat in the 17th chapter of 2 Chronicles. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the ways of his father David before him. He did not consult the Baals, but sought the God of his father and followed his commands rather than the practices of Israel. Now, always remember when you're reading these portions of the Old Testament, we usually think of Israel as that's God's people, that's the nation. But in this context and in many other contexts, especially in Kings and Chronicles, when it says Israel, it's often pointing to that kingdom in the north, not all of God's people chosen by God. Now, they were still God's people. They just weren't doing a very good job of showing that they were, of demonstrating that they were, and that included the kings that was leading them. But Jehoshaphat is the king of the southern kingdom of Judah. And what we're going to see in this man is, among other things, but I think all the, I have a fairly extensive list on your outline, and we'll go through it you know, at a good pace, but you're going to see faithfulness, wisdom, and humility coming out of this man as a king, as a leader. Jehoshaphat, the educator. If you go to the 17th chapter, you'll see, first of all, <clears throat> Jehoshaphat as an educator in verse 9. It says this. Now, in the, excuse me, in the couple of verses before that, there's a big long list of names you probably can't pronounce, and neither can I, all of them. Okay. But what's important is what they did. And so he, he selected all these people, listed in verses 7 and 8. Then it says in verse 9, they taught throughout Judah, taking with them the book of the law of the Lord. They went around to all the towns of Judah and taught the people. This king believed in education. This king believed the most important textbook <laughs> is what we now call the Bible, but what they had of the books of the law. This is the way that, that God gave them in their time to follow him. These are the laws. These are the rules. This is the way to express your, your love and devotion to God through obedience to these laws. And people forget very quickly. People walk away very quickly from what, from what they know to be best. And as we've looked at, as you'll see throughout the kings, there was this constant tug on the hearts of both Israel and Judah to have other gods or sort of additional gods. Very few of them outrightly rejected Jehovah, the one and true God, or Yahweh, but when things weren't going well, when there was a drought, when there was a war or a threat of a war, and it wasn't going the way they think it should, well, why don't we go ahead and build one of those high places? We talked about that last week with Asa and how he successfully tore them down. 
but those places of worship where Baal was worshipped, or Ashtorah, or Chemosh, or Molech, and other gods were worshipped there in all kinds of abhorrent practices and feasts were going on. Well, this was a constant tug of war between the right way and the wrong way with God's people. So Jehoshaphat said, we're going to go out and we're going to intentionally teach the people. And he entrusted leaders, teachers to do that. He didn't just say, I'm in charge, just listen to me. He said, no, to get the word out, and we have to send people out to the people, teachers. And they did that. And then the 10th verse tells us that the fear of the Lord fell on the kingdom's of the land surrounding Judah, so that they did not go to war against Jehoshaphat. Now that's the next verse after it tells about these teachers going out and teaching the law of the Lord. There's a direct correlation there, isn't there? When the people actively and passionately and hopefully with all of their hearts begin to follow the Lord, God blesses and protects them, and the surrounding nations who might be tempted to to come in and do battle, and there was almost always some battle or threat of a battle going on, they backed off because of the fear of God. And that was how God blessed them for Jehoshaphat's decision to make sure that the people knew the book. Jehoshaphat, the listener, he sought God's counsel. Now it says in the, the 18th chapter that God really blessed Jehoshaphat uh, because of his, of his good decisions, his, his leadership ability. This is verse 1 of 18. Now Jehoshaphat had great wealth and honor, and he allied himself with Ahab by marriage. Now that maybe wasn't the best thing to do. Politically it made sense. Ahab at that time was the king of the people to the north, Israel. Now the Israel the nation Israel were still their brothers in the sense of they all traced back to Abraham. But as a nation, they kept on, once again, disobeying God. And among that list of bad kings I showed you a moment ago, Ahab may have been the worst. And his wife, Queen Jezebel, was right with him. And you can read about that in the book of um, 1 Kings, around 17 or so, about Elijah and um, what happened with him, and the prophets of Baal, etc. But Jehoshaphat still realized that they can work together, and there was a battle that was being threatened against both of them. So the proposal from Ahab to Jehoshaphat was, let's join forces. Let's protect both of our nations, which, which kind of makes sense on a lot of levels, at least strategically and politically. So in the third verse, King Ahab, King Ahab of Israel asked Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, will you go with me against Ramoth Galid, which was the name of the people that were threatening them? Jehoshaphat replied, I am as you are, and my people as your people. We will join you in the war. But Jehoshaphat also said to the king of Israel, first, seek the counsel of the Lord. There is a good leader, a godly leader. And he listened because basically 
So it says in the fifth verse, So the king of Israel brought together the prophets, 400 men, and asked them, Shall we go to war against Ramoth Galid, or shall we not? Go, they answer, for God will give you into the king's hand. Well, if you were to take the time to read the story, or maybe you know the story, about Elijah and the prophets of Baal. You know how many of them there were? 400. So what, who are the prophets that Ahab is asking the question, what does God want us to do? They were people there whose hearts really weren't after the one true God. Scholars tell us that this is a very common practice in the ancient world that when there is a battle or a big decision to make by the king, he would have hundreds of prophets that he would ask questions to and advice of. But most of the time, they were a bunch of yes-men. Because who among them is going to stand up to the king who usually had complete power and authority in his nation? So... If he doesn't like what you say, he can dismiss you, arrest you, beat you, kill you. So these 400 people, I'm really curious how that worked, too. 400 of them. All right, fellas, go out and figure out what we should do and get back to me tomorrow or next week or in an hour. I don't know how, I don't know how they did this. And did, did they go off and do some rituals? And did they go off and have meetings and break into smaller groups and come to a consensus? Did, did they vote? And then one of them got to go before the king? Uh, I'm sure no one wanted to be the last one to draw that straw. But I'm not sure how that exactly worked, but they did come back to the king and basically told him what he wanted to hear. Jehoshaphat, once again, shows his leadership ability in verse 6, but he says... Is there no longer a prophet of the Lord here whom we can inquire of? The king of Israel, Ahab, answered Jehoshaphat, There is still one prophet through whom we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he, prophes he never prophesies anything good about me, always bad. <laughs> he is Micaiah, son of Imlah. So there's an additional prophet to Elijah. Remember, Elijah, after things didn't go well for him, thought he was the only one left, and he wasn't. So here's one of them that was still left in Israel, that was still following the Lord. And now listen to what Jehoshaphat said. Now, now realize that the, the tension of the moment. He's gathering together with the king to the north, so they should respect one another equally as kings. They're probably sitting around with leadership from both nations and all with their ears listening to hear how this is going to go. Are these guys are going to agree together? Are they going to go to war together? Is this going to go sideways? And all of a sudden, we're going to have a war right here in the room. You know, this is tension-filled moment. So you have to say things carefully. And you don't criticize another leader, Right? Well, hearing what Ahab said about the one remaining prophet and that he hates him, Jehoshaphat said in the seventh verse, the king should not say such a thing. 
I'm sure the room got real quiet. <laughs> They're all looking at Ahab now. Wow. He said that? What's Ahab going to do? And in the back of the room, we're probably tiptoeing out. I don't know, but... The king of Israel answered Jehoshaphat. Excuse me. So the king of Israel called one of his officials and said, Bring Micaiah, son of Ahab, at once. So he agreed to bring him in. And that prophet, indeed, didn't agree with the 400 prophets. That prophet said, Ahab, if you go through this battle, you're going to die. Summing it up, that's what happened. He was killed in battle because he didn't listen to what the prophet did. Now, they still did have the battle, and God still was with Jehoshaphat, but it didn't go as Ahab had hoped that it would. So, forgive me, I have my papers all shuffled from the last sermon. Okay, here we go. Um, Which leads us to, to the next aspect, leadership quality of this man. He's the prayer warrior. So the battle was, was going on that they agreed to go to together, but Ahab, fearing that this prophecy from this one prophet would come true, he would die in battle, decided that he was not going to wear his kingly attire into battle. Usually you could easily identify the king in battle. Oh yeah, that's that guy dressed like that. It was pretty simple. So he looked like just any other soldier and then surrounded himself with you know, his generals and soldiers to, to protect him, but you couldn't visibly see, easily know who Ahab was otherwise. Jehoshaphat just dressed like a king. So let's go to the 30th verse of chapter 18 that says this. Now the king of Aram had ordered his chariot commanders, do not fight with anyone small or great, except the king of Israel. When the chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat, they thought, this is the king of Israel. So they turned to attack him. But Joseph cried out, and the Lord helped him. Excuse me, Joseph. I I did that several times before too. Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him. God drew them away from him. And then if you read on, you'll read how Ahab was indeed killed, even though he disguised himself. And so here we have a prayer warrior. Here we have a man who was used to prayer. Now, sure, it's easy for anyone to cry out to the Lord when their life is on the line, and and not to say that God wouldn't hear such a prayer. But when it comes from a man who already had prayer as a way of life, then God is, I think, that much more quick to respond. You know, I, I won't pretend to know the will and the ways of God all of the time, but I, I, I do know that, that, that the more we pray, the more God honors our lives and blesses our lives and helps our lives according to his will, according to his plan. And his will for Jehoshaphat was that he should survive this battle and get out of this situation, and he did, and Ahab was killed. And then sometime later, we see Jehoshaphat the evangelist. In the 19th chapter, down at the fourth verse, Jehoshaphat lived in Jerusalem, and he went out among the people. Excuse me. 
and he went out again among the people. Let me pause there. The king is going out among the people. And it says again, like this was something he must have done frequently on a regular basis. This wasn't a king who was going to sit there in his palace, dictate everything from the throne, expect everything to get done, and to rule over people that he never met. No, he went out with the people, to the people. And look what he did when he went out. So again, the fourth verse, he went out among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim, a section that was kind of disputed between Israel and Judah throughout their history, and turned them back to the Lord, the God of their ancestors. Isn't that great? Here's the king. He didn't just send the priests to do it, not that the priests wouldn't or didn't, but he went out as king, and you just imagine that when, when people realize that, that the king is coming, and he's there, and and he wants to teach them. He wants to, he's not expecting them to bow down to him and give him gifts or, you know, sing to him and honor him. He's saying, I want to tell you about the real king. I want to tell you about my God. And he's, he's revealed to us in, through, through the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and the Exodus, and Moses, and Moses was given the law, we should obey the law, and, and, and Joshua conquered the land that we are now in, and, and, and all of those stories, and to honor this God, and to hear that from the king himself, their hearts turned. So that's why I'm calling him an evangelist. And what else did Jehoshaphat do? He was a delegator. It says in... The, again, the fourth verse, excuse me, the fifth verse, he appointed judges in the land in each of the fortified cities of Judah. He told them, carefully consider what you do because you are not judging for mere mortals, but for the Lord who is with you wherever you give a verdict. Now let the fear of the Lord be on you. Judge carefully for the Lord our God, for with the Lord our God there is no injustice, partiality, or bribery. He is delegating. He is entrusting other people to carry out the work of governing the nation, of guiding the nation, of being a judge between, between disputes, between difficulties, with, with, with uh, violations of the law. Whatever else a judge is going to do, these people were prepared to do it and do it according to the king's desires. He didn't just say, I'm the only one who can do this. I can't trust anybody else. Just listen to me. He trusted people. He entrusted people with power and authority, and they did well. And once again, the nation was, was blessed because of this. So not only was he a prayer leader, he was also a prayer warrior. <clears throat> Excuse me, not prayer warrior, but prayer leader. I got that backwards. In the 20th chapter now, we see sometime later, just as after this in the first verse, he reigned for 25 years, so this could have been 5, 10 years later. After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and 
with some of the Munites came to wage war against Joseph, uh, excuse me, Jehoshaphat. And this is the passage I read at the start. And so this vast army is coming. And what are they going to do now? The fourth verse. The people of Judah came together to seek the help of the Lord. No, sorry, third verse. Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. What a king. We're in trouble, and I know we're in trouble. And this is probably the biggest army I've ever faced. This is one of the biggest armies that, that our nation has ever faced. And militarily speaking, we are in big trouble. They, they could wipe us out. So what are we going to do? Get more soldiers? Tell everybody to run in panic? No. We're going to pray and we're going to fast. And the people responded. Fourth verse. People of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek Him. Now why were they willing to do that? They were desperate. Sure, they were worried. But I think it's also because this king was out in some of their towns teaching them. This king sent teachers and judges effectively throughout their communities. They could see his leadership through other people this whole time. And that leadership was centered on trusting God first and God's ways. And so when he asked them to come and gather and and pray and fast, they said, absolutely. If that's what you need, Our king, we will do that. And they did so. And the fifth verse is this prayer. Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, now there's this one little word. I love when you study scriptures, if you just get down to the nitty gritty. Sometimes there's little words you can just blow right past. New courtyard. Where'd that come from? Well, if you read more detail, the things I'm admittedly skimming over today, you'll see how rich he became and, and how blessed he was. And that also tells me the level of integrity in this king's life that he was blessed with great riches as a king, great power, but didn't take it on for himself, didn't become isolated and paranoid about others wanting what he has. He used it well. And although it doesn't say it directly, perhaps he built the new courtyard in the temple with the money that he had. Now, it was Solomon's temple, but it wasn't that new. It's been some time since Solomon. So there's money invested into this place that he's at. I use this picture today because this is the moment. Here is the king in this new courtyard on his knees, bowing down in prayer with all of his subjects watching, with everyone who could fill that place and by the way, the, the courtyard in the Temple of Solomon was very big. It was the size of 
two and a half football fields. The whole temple area had a wall around it, and the temple itself, which housed the Holy of Holies, was um, you know, one portion of the temple. But in the courtyard area, it was massive. So you could fit two and a half football fields, I don't know, thousands of people for sure. And among the thousands of people, here's the king. And here's the king, not dictating to everyone what they should do and how he's in charge or, or whatever else. He's saying, we need the Lord, and I'm going to pray. And he led them in prayer. The king bowed down to God. Kings don't usually bow down. They are bowed down to, and they are very insistent of that. Think of any film about... Um, about kings in any time of history. And most of the time, that king expects people to come before him to bow down, or the queen to bow down to her. And this king is bowing down to the ultimate and greatest king, the God in heaven. And he says this prayer, which I read a moment ago, but I want to come back to a couple aspects of this prayer. He, give, he speaks about their history, how God's blessed them and given them this land to live in. And um, it says there about the middle of the ninth verse, um, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear and save us. So there's a lot of faith in this man. And then it goes on down at the 11th verse. Let's make it the 12th. Our God... Will you not judge them? That is the enemy. For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. Now hear this next line. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Now if, if history and kings and the past doesn't float your boat, that, that, that's, you know... That's something you don't like history, but it's in scripture, so you want to try and learn. And if battles don't relate to your life in, in terms of a military battle, I ask you this question Do you have battles that you're facing now of other forms? Do you have wars raging around you or threats of war in your life, threatening yourself and your family in some way or another? We all have battles, don't we? Have you ever faced a battle where your prayer can go something like this? We do not know what to do. You're at your wit's end. Most people like to be in control, especially if you're in a position of leadership. We're the ones that people look to. We're the ones that are supposed to have the answer. We're the ones that are supposed to fix this. And if you're a fixer, and that's me, honestly. My first inclination is, oh, I'm going to get this. I'll, I'll take care of this. But there's moments where I can't fix this. I don't know what to do, God. Go on to the next part of that prayer after the comma. But my eyes are on you. That's faith. That's leadership. Look what it says in the next verse. Now think about this. Again, picture that with vast and spread out over this huge courtyard. And everyone's as quiet as they can be so they can hear a word of this prayer as best they can. 
all the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood before the Lord. They all witnessed this. This was a male-dominated culture. It's just the way it was. But the men brought their wives this time. The men brought their kids. And those children witnessed the king of their nation on his knees, admitting that he didn't know what to do, but he's going to trust God. That's leadership. Leadership isn't making it up as you go along. Leadership isn't insisting that I got this, I got this, I got this. When you really know somewhere in your gut that you don't, but you're too afraid, you're too proud to say, I don't have this, I don't know what to do. I am at my wit's end, and I don't want to look bad in front of whoever. Jehoshaphat wasn't afraid of that. And the message he sent to all of these people gathered in this courtyard, young to old, was, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on the Lord. And that is exactly where God is calling you to in your moments of, I don't know what to do. Don't stop there. Go on to the next line. But my eyes are on the Lord. Would you say that with me? My eyes are on the Lord. Say that when you get to the I don't know moments. Say that when you get to the end of the line, the end of the rope, your wits end. Well, we have lots of phrases to say it's, it's, it's time to give up. We don't know where to go. Yes, we do. Our eyes are on the Lord. He's got this. And then the, the battle did indeed come. And Jehoshaphat was also a commander. Like his father, Asa, if you were here last week, read that portion of Scripture, you'll see that Asa trusted God first, but he didn't just assume, God, you got this, I don't have to do anything. It was he, he, his first inclination was to pray and to ask God help, and then, but he also prepared. He also got an army ready. That's exactly what Jehoshaphat did. He was still a commander. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. That's the word that a prophet named uh, Jaziel gave. See that in the 14th verse. And this is what the message from God. You know, don't be afraid or discouraged, verse 15, because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. And that was God's confirmation that I am with you. I saw your prayer before all your people, Jehoshaphat, and he motivated and inspired the prophet among them, one of the prophets, to say this on behalf of God. And 17th verse, you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your possessions and stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. That's a great message too. So God communicates to them, I got this, it's going to be okay, but you still be ready. You still, you still put on your armor, you, you're still ready, but you're going to watch and you're going to see. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. And he was. 
And so the commander was ready for battle, even though he trusted God to win the battle. And then he was also a worship leader. And the battle tactic he had was kind of strange. Perhaps other nations would do this in some form or another. I don't know. But he collected some singers to praise God. And they were first in line. (laughs) And he was with them. Jehoshaphat, the king. They brought praise first. He led them in worship. He says in the 21st verse, after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and praise him for his splendor and his holiness and went out ahead of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord, his love endures forever. We still have songs of those words on, don't we? Isn't that great? And then what happened was the, the army against them was a coalition army. And God brought confusion in among them where they each thought the other was actually the enemy. So they destroyed themselves while Jehoshaphat and his army watched this happen. And then they went in. At that point, it was easy to take what was left and wipe them out because God had a plan, and God indeed won the battle for them. And then down at the 27th verse, of chapter number 20. It tells us how he went on and had a time of, of praise back at the temple for this great victory. He didn't forget to say, thank you, God, for what you've done. So my questions as we wrap this up this morning, as you see to me a very inspiring example of leadership in Jehoshaphat, What kind of leader do you look for? Not just in who you choose at the ballot box, although that's certainly important, but in other areas of your life. Who who do you want to follow when you have the choice? Who will you follow? But then just as important, I think perhaps even more important, is what kind of a leader are you? In whatever area of life leadership matters, do you lead the way God wants you to, and are you ready to trust him even when you can't figure it out? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for these scriptures that we can learn from and from the life and the leadership of Jehoshaphat that is inspiring. Help us to remember that which we need to remember from these moments and plant one seed in our heart and our lives to trust you to lead in our lives and to follow good leadership. In your name I pray. Amen. Praise team's going to come. We're going to wrap up our time of worship here this morning. Let's um, stand together.